Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Mississippi State University Center for Distance Education, providing online programs and certification at the graduate and undergraduate levels. Distance at State. Even there, you're here. More information at distance.msstate.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, November 9th. I'm Ezra Wall. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a collaborative effort is one step closer to becoming action in the state's second largest school district. We'll find out what's next for Jackson Public Schools. Then, hear from a medical professional with the latest on lung cancer rates and screenings that could save lives right here in Mississippi. And what's the history of that car you're about to buy? What you should look for to avoid buying a potentially flood-damaged vehicle. Plus, a New York Times bestselling author and editor has advice for parents on brain development in young children. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. collaborative effort is one step closer to becoming action in the state's second largest school district. The Better Together Commission was created as an alternative to a state takeover in the Jackson Public Schools. The commission's 15 volunteers had their first meeting yesterday. Members were appointed by the governor, the mayor of Jackson, and the W.K. Kellogg Foundation. The commission heard from the interim school and superintendent who talked about some of the challenges facing the district, where 63% of the buildings are more than 41 years old and more than half of the teachers have three years of experience or less. Charles McClelland is a retired educator. He chairs Better Together and tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the commission is in its early stages. The commission itself is really kind of finding its way now, and we're going to have to meet in committee groups. Uh, We're going to have to continue to meet with the mayor's office, the governor's office, Kellogg to really find out where we're going with this, you know. One of the things we kept hearing over and over again was community engagement. Right. Can you comment on that? I believe the school system is just as good as the community would like to be. And without community involvement, I don't know if you're going to ever find a school system that's very good if you don't have the community buy-in. It is my belief that the parents have as large a role to play in this as the superintendent, the teachers, the bus drivers. If they don't get them ready to be taught, it's going to make it very, very difficult for the teachers to teach them. And with that being said, 
I think the community is going to have the mom, the dads, the grandparents are going to have to get involved in making sure that they get them up to the building, ready to be taught, and having the balance one. When you say getting them to the school ready to be taught, what does that mean? That means being there on time, and being there not to disturb, not to take away from the learning process of the others, open mind, being there to, for what it's for, you know, to, to get an education. The other stuff needs to go away, you know. When they enter the, those doors of the school building, they need to be there to get an education. And I think the parents play the largest role in making sure that that happens. So do you think in the Jackson Public Schools the parents have fallen behind in their role? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. In, in a lot of cases, they really don't know their, their role. They really don't know what they should be following up on in the school building. They really don't know, in a lot of cases, whether they would be looked upon that they shouldn't be there. Once the parents get to where they understand that they are just as important in this process of educating children, the same as the teacher, the principal, whatever, it's going to be, it's just going to be better. How can the commission address that? Well, I'm hoping that with the commission that we can come up with some programs. But the question I ask that, that uh, to get the community involved and, and to talk out what their role should be, what the school's role should be, and uh, work together to get it done. The objectives that were discussed among them is quality and, and keeping track of good data. That's a challenge. Not really a challenge. Uh, in talking to uh, Dr. Mary, I, I think he have things in place, and he seemed to be basing what he's talking about on data. Uh, so I don't think that's going to be a challenge of uh, getting good data. Uh, the problem is going to be is to make sure that he use the data properly. But I think he have outlined, you know, uh, a way that he can do that. Timeline. It won't happen this year. This is a process. You know, I, I don't think anyone think that this is going to be a complete turnaround next year. But I think we'll have things in place next year for the turnaround. Uh, this, this is not going to be an overnight deal. Thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate your you. time. Mm-hmm. Tamara James has three children in Jackson Public Schools. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier why she attended yesterday's meeting. Um, my concern for the district and just everything that's going on in the district now and then of course the state takeover and you know the feelings on that because we see that in the past the state takeovers really have not been successful in helping our children so that's why I'm here. What do you think about what you heard so far? This is the initial meeting. Yeah, this is the first meeting. I think there's a lot of ideas that we're trying to pull together at this meeting to get in place to kind of see where we are and see where we're going from here. Hopeful? Yes, very hopeful because I think we have a good board, a good staff of people who are more interested in helping our children. One thing the um, JPS interim superintendent talked about was the challenge of attracting and keeping good teachers. Yes, I think that's a big portion of it, but we have to look at the pay increase as well. Not saying that most teachers are in it for the money, but it would help to compensate the teachers and to give them support that's needed. 
You have an urban setting. You have discipline as an issue. How can they begin to take on that challenge? I think that is a very big challenge, but there has to be parental involvement, and that would help a lot with the discipline issues, getting the parents involved, and what's going on. Do you see that happening now? I do, because I think now there's more hope for the district now that they've put together a team who's really interested and concerned about the welfare of the children. What do you think is important to share about children, your children, and what your vision is for this school district? My hope is that my children maintain a a, a very good education in the public school system and we not have to go outside of the district to educate our children well. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you. That's Desiree Frazier with parent uh, uh, Tamara James. The Better Together Commission meets again next Thursday. It was September when the State Department of Education declared JPS to be in a state of emergency. The governor and the mayor of Jackson and city leaders agreed on this uh, Better Together process uh, through which they would revamp the school board and other aspects of Jackson Public Schools. Well, yesterday, a uh, a portion of the a board from the Department of Education indicated that state takeover still could be uh, in in process uh, over there at the Department of Education. So we'll keep you posted as we learn more about all these developments involving Mississippi's uh, second largest school district. Coming up, hear from a medical professional with the latest on lung cancer rates and screenings that could save lives. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz. 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ezra Wall in for Karen Brown today. Experts say lung cancer screenings could save lives here in Mississippi. The state's among the nation's leaders in the rates of lung cancer cases, according to the Centers for Disease Control. 1,900 Mississippians die of the disease every year. Nearly 2,600 new cases are diagnosed. The American Lung Association is encouraging smokers to learn more and to be tested for lung cancer through an effort called Saved by the Scan. They say screening can reduce the mortality rate, but it's not for everyone. Dr. David Tom Cook is with the University of California Davis' Medical Center. He tells us more about the disease. Lung cancer is the number one cancer killer of both men and women, especially in the state of Mississippi. Now we have a screening tool called a lung cancer screening with low-dose CT scan, which can catch high-risk individuals with lung cancer at their earliest stage, which has the best chance for cure. What does the new uh, scan involve? It's similar to an x-ray, but more in-depth with more detail. It takes about five minutes to perform. And then after that, viable information, a, a, really a, a snapshot of an individual's lungs uh, is taken. A radiologist can read that snapshot and identify potential lung cancers if they're present. More traditionally, how would lung cancer have been diagnosed previously? So the majority of lung cancer in this country is diagnosed at advanced stage. So there are four stages of lung cancer, and about 70% of patients with lung cancer are diagnosed at stage 3 or stage 4, with the chance of cure is very low. With lung cancer screening, there's what's called a stage shift meaning that we're able to find patients at earlier stages, stage one and stage two. So 70% of patients are diagnosed after screening uh, with either stage one or stage two lung cancer. That's a complete shift. 
and those patients have the highest chance for cure. I'm assuming then that the outcomes are better for those cases in which the cancer is caught earlier? Yes. If you look at overall survival rate for individuals with lung cancer, uh, the overall survival rate is less than 15% at five years. Now, what that does, that takes in all stages. And like I said, most patients are diagnosed at advanced stage. But if you look at patients who are diagnosed at stage one, per se, then the chance of survival is 55 to 80% at five years. And 70% of patients with lung cancer who are diagnosed after screening are diagnosed at stage one or stage two. In terms of that newer form of screening, is that recommended for everyone? Or how, how would somebody know if they're, they fall within the risk category that should qualify for that? Lung cancer screening with low-dose CT scan is recommended for patients who are considered high risk for developing lung cancer. Now, those patients are anyone age 55 to 80 who is a current smoker or quit within the last 15 years and has an equivalent of what's called 30-pack-year smoking history. Now, a pack-year, that means like one pack a day for 30 years or two packs for 15 years or any combination of years uh, and pack that equals 30. Those individuals who fit that criteria would be eligible for lung cancer screening with low-dose CT scan. There's an estimated 9 million Americans uh, who are eligible uh, based on that criteria. So in terms of Mississippi's relation to the rest of the country, should Mississippians be more worried about this than our national counterparts? Are we doing worse in, in lung cancer as we do in so many other health areas? Mississippi is doing worse than some parts of the country. Mississippi is part of that region that is oftentimes referred to as the smoking belt or the tobacco belt, where uh, incidence of smoking is higher in those individuals. So based on that logic and that fact, there are thousands of Mississippians who would fit the high-risk criteria and would be eligible for lung cancer screening. So if people are interested in this process and are unfamiliar with it and, and would like to find out more information, how should they go about doing that? Well, the first thing they should do is go to their physician or healthcare provider and talk to them about first smoking cessation if they're active smokers, as well as lung cancer screening and determine if they are eligible for lung cancer screening. The key fact for lung cancer screening in high-risk individuals is that it's covered by Medicare and Medicaid, and it's covered by private insurance as defined as an essential health benefit uh, with the Affordable Care Act. Dr. David Tom Cook is with the UC Davis Health and a volunteer spokesperson for the American Lung Association. Dr. Cook, thank you so much for sharing this information with us today. Thank you very much for inviting me. And November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month. Coming up, what the history of that what's the history of that car and what should you look for to make sure you're not about to buy a flood damaged vehicle? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ezra Wall. State officials are warning Mississippians to be on the lookout for flood-damaged vehicles coming into the state's market. It's estimated a billion cars went underwater in the past few months during hurricanes that swept across the southern region. About a million of those damaged vehicles could arrive here in Mississippi. To assist Mississippians in determining if their car has flood damage, body shops across the state are offering free flood inspections. State Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney tells MPB's Ashley Norwood some consumers will consider buying a damaged vehicle in spite of all the warnings. 
it's a real temptation to want to buy one of these cars that's been underwater, but there's a lot of danger and risk if you buy a car that's been underwater. That includes the fact that the electrical system usually corrodes. It doesn't happen until the car may be six months to a year old after it's been underwater. And what ends up happening then is your airbag may go off, your brakes may fail, all sorts of things can happen to you, and your automobile can run off the road when you least expect it, and it's just a bad risk for a consumer to to buy a salvage title vehicle. This isn't the first time you've kind of warned Mississippi. So within this season, is it because we're approaching the holiday season? A lot of a lot more people will be buying cars. Has the number of cars coming from different states? Are you tracking that? Like, why this moment? Well, we're breaking it out now. The Department of Justice has asked us to work to try to inform consumers about what goes on if you buy an automobile that's been underwater. We've agreed to do that. We're working in coalition with the collision repair shops in Mississippi, and they have an association of collision repair shops that will check your vehicle free of charge for you to see if it's been underwater and give you some advice. The same advice we would give you is to be careful about buying an automobile that's been underwater. That's a pretty big deal. And the way you get to the Mississippi Collision Repair Association is to go to their website, or you can go to any repair shop, and they will probably check your car for you free. Should we expect to continue to you know, get announcements and reminders about what to look for? You will get an announcement from our office about every two or three weeks to be careful about and when we talk about buying a car that's been underwater. And we have people say, well, you know, they did it by zip codes, and I was in Memphis, Tennessee, mine didn't go underwater. Get it checked out. If the insurance company paid for that car, There'll be a VIN number record of it, and you can check the VIN number and know if the car's been underwater. Uh, These cars can be cleaned up. They can look brand new, and and the consumer will never know they've been underwater until the airbag goes off and you're driving down the road and you may have children there or a spouse or even a parent, and somebody gets killed. That's the danger. Do you expect that this may be a bigger issue? Like, what's the status right now? Well, uh, after the flooding uh, several years ago in Louisiana, we had over 7,000 applications for salvage vehicles, and we said we just weren't going to do that. And we've had salvage requests again. The legislature, some legislators wanted to change the law to let people buy the flooded car until they began to understand the risk that were involved. And we see a lot of people buying these vehicles, and they can't get them insured. And when you, you may buy them and, and get a false title on them and get a tag, but when you go to buy or have a wreck or buy insurance, the insurance companies aren't going to sell you insurance, one, which is a state requirement, and number two, even if you got insurance on a false pretense, they won't pay off. So there's a lot of risk besides hurting hurting yourself in a car wreck. Thank you so much, Commissioner. Have a good day. Thank you. That's Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney with our Ashley Norwood. Coming up, a New York Times bestselling author and editor has advice for parents on advancing brain development in young children. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Mississippi State University Center for Distance Education, providing online programs and certification at the graduate and undergraduate levels. Distance at State, even there you're here. More information at distance.msstate.edu. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ezra Wall. Mississippi parents can kickstart a positive reading habit and spark brain development by reading to babies and children. 
That's according to YouGov. Reading aloud from birth plays a vital role in a child's development, cultivating the language and literacy skills necessary for schools and learning readiness. And doing so for 15 minutes a day for 21 days can make it a habit. New York Times bestselling and award-winning author Andrea Davis Pinckney agrees. She also serves as executive director of Scholastic. Pinckney is a graduate of Syracuse University's Newhouse School of Public Communications, who has authored numerous books for children and young adults, including picture books, novels, works of historical fiction and nonfiction. She tells MPB's Karen Brown more about how uh, how children can uh, develop reading skills, uh, why those early reading skills are so important. A newborn is our golden candidate, if you will. Uh, when we read to a child from birth, you know, that is the moment that babies are really just taking in information. Newborns are like sponges. They're sucking it up with uh, vocabulary, words, uh, new ideas. The imagination is beginning to pop. So even at the youngest ages, it's important to sit with a child, enjoy a book. And also, you know, it's been shown that when we read to children from the very youngest ages, their chances of doing well in school uh, and being ready for kindergarten increase. So, you know, as a mom myself, I want my kids to do great in school. So I I play a role in that by getting a book and reading it aloud. How does it make them do well in school? Again, they're learning language, words, vocabulary. Uh, So by the time they get to school and uh, they get to the age where they are ready to learn to read, they've been exposed to books and the idea of reading that seed has been planted. When a child learns to read on their own, should the child then read to the parent or, or should the parent continue reading to a child who can read? Well, I think it's a two-way street, sure. When a child can read on his or her own, that's the perfect moment to share that book. You read a page, honey, I'll read a page. We can talk about it. What do you think this lion is doing? How do you think that princess felt uh, You know, when she put on that dress? Uh, yeah, it's perfect, You know, the, the give and take. The main thing that we're uh, really focusing on with the uh, 21-day Read Aloud Challenge is the interactivity with a child. That's what makes it so special, those cherished moments, grown-up, child, together, uh, really, really sharing that time is, is really terrific. Why is it that a child likes to hear the same book more than once? Yeah, I think it becomes like a friend. You know, you become familiar with it. Uh, so I'm a big fan of rhyming books, so there's that musicality that I think uh, just kind of, you know, stays in the mind and you, and you become, you start to know those characters. They become like, almost like your friends. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. We have something at Scholastic known as the Kids and Family Reading Report, a survey that measures the uh, attitudes and behaviors around reading. We ask kids, we ask parents, why do you think it's important to read aloud? You know, they both gave us the same answer which is, I like the time together. So, uh, so yes, mom, dad, parents, caregivers, there's no wrong way to do it uh, except to not do it. Now that someone's decided to do it, how does a parent know what kind of book, what book titles are appropriate for the age of their child? One of the things that we found in our Kids and Family Reading Report is that uh, depending on the age of your child, the power of choice is a great thing. Let the child choose. Um, I'm the mom who would bring home the book for my son or daughter, and I'd say, here, honey, this is for you. 
And uh, they would say, no, Mom, not my cup of tea. So <laughs> the power of choice is really key. We found that when they can choose their own books and their own stories, they have a better chance of liking the book, finishing the book, becoming a lifelong reader. Uh, if the child is much younger, you know, this is a moment where we can pick a book that we hope they'll like, something highly visual, uh, something fun. We also found that books that have humor are great, that rhyming quality, musicality. So there are many, many options available. What about picture books that may have just a line or two on each page? Are those of value to children? Books that are highly visual are great actually for reluctant readers. I have spent many a moment with a child who may not want to be reading, frankly, uh, saying, you know what, let's make up our own story. What do you think that lion is thinking? You know, let's act this out. Let's enjoy it together. And uh, so even if a book has minimal words, the visual is very important. You know, the main thing is that we're sitting together and enjoying the time. Well, I can't ignore the fact that you are a New York Times bestselling and award-winning children's book author. What kinds of books do you write and for what age? Karen, I write all kinds of books. Uh, picture books are one of my favorite uh, kinds of books to write. When I was growing up, a book that I loved, a great read aloud that I still read aloud to this day, The Snowy Day by Ezra Jack Keats. Uh, so I've recently written a book called A Poem for Peter, which is about the creation of The Snowy Day and how Ezra Jack Keats came up with that iconic, uh, beautiful character uh, in the red snowsuit that goes out in the snow. So that's uh, one of my most recents, and I had a lot of fun doing that. And uh, I enjoy reading it aloud to the kids in my life. How many children's books have you written? Oh, it's so funny. A friend of mine recently asked, Andrea, how many children's books have you written? I said, I have no idea. I don't <laughs> I said, She said, what do you mean you have no idea? Shame on you. She said, I'm going to look it up. So she sent me an email. She said, I want you to know that you have written over 30 children's books. Oh, my gosh. Here's the list. So thanks to my friend, I now have that information. That's